0: It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writers Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox.
1: Hello and welcome to the Great Write Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I invite some of the friendliest and most hardworking writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, roar and bounce. Uh, today, as of recording, is the 6th of August. It's sunny outside, a bit windy, been a fun day. Um, been having a quite an interesting day getting back into the rhythm of one of my books. So I'm currently about to write book five of a series. I've got books one, two, three and four out but I've made the mistake of leaving leaving book five until about a year after the release of the f- fourth one. So I'm trying to get my head back into that, which has been a bit of a fun day. Um, but I found it really nice actually going back and revisiting some of my old characters and uh, getting really familiar with the story. And actually seeing some of the bits that <clears throat> I've sewn uh, back into the story all the way through. Because books five and what will be book six uh, will be the final wrap up to the series. And uh, I've got a lot of a lot of exciting webs that I've been weaving that come through, so it'll be nice to to bring that to a close. Um, but today on this show, on The Great Writers Share Show, I'm going to be talking to uh, Mr. Alex Seagates, who is a best-selling horror author, best-selling Amazon horror author. Um, and I'll be talking to him about how he managed to make the move to full-time author, why it's important to bring your significant other along on the journey with you, how he managed to find success with BookBub. I found that a bit quite interesting, finding out how he... Uh, got accepted in the first place and some of the tips and tricks there but also uh, he gets into the nitty-gritty about his actual statistics on um, what that success looked like and how it's how it's leading him forward and actually how it helped him spoiler alert get to his full-time status before that I just want to put a little shout out to say thank you to uh, our brand new patrons over at patreon.com forward slash the great writers share we've had three patrons this week which i'm very very grateful that you guys have all joined so hello to john cronshaw good friend of mine good uh post-apocalyptic author and he's got a few non-fiction books out so i definitely suggest if you want to find out a bit more about him go check out john cronshaw he's a he's a very interesting guy and a very nice guy as well um harley christensen thank you very much for joining us harley and jen mitchell as well who is another author that i met out in edinburgh last week so uh, thank you jen for joining us it's it's nice to see everyone coming over to the slack group um for people that this might be your first show over at patreon.com forward slash great Writers share one of the rewards you can get for becoming a subscriber of the show for as little as a dollar a month is uh you can jump over into our private slack group where you basically have free reign access to all of our hawk and cleaver writers as well as any of the other patrons that are on there so um, we've had discussions going already about how people consume their writing, a little bit of advice on uh, what some of the people are doing with their books. So if you fancy getting involved and uh, jumping into the conversation, then, then just check it out. I'll put a, a link in the show notes, so feel free to click through and have a look. Um, which also, on that note, if uh, this adds another incentive to you, any person that joins at the $1 a month pledge gets access to our monthly giveaway. This month's giveaway is Craig Martel's Release Strategies. So it's you'll get a book shipped straight to your door, um, Release Strategies. It's a fantastic book. I've recently read. Craig Martell's a fantastic guy. He's released over 100 or so novels in the last three years alone. Uh, works quite closely with Michael Anderley And uh, yeah, most of that's in collaborations. But I think if you want advice on how to launch a book, then who better to go to than a person who has launched more than anyone can count (laughs) because i'm not i'm not going to count for all of his books um but yeah so join us over there again thank you to all the new patrons and uh let's without further ado dive straight into this very interesting chat with good friend alex c gates enjoy Today I'm joined by Alex Seagates, and I'm going to go straight into reading off of his blurb that he actually put on his Amazon page because I think it's actually quite a lot of fun and uh, we can break this down and have a bit of fun looking at the questions for these. So Alex Seagates is a loving husband, skilled educator, true Gryffindor, dragon slayer, wizard of the highest order, defender of the realm, cowboys fan and connoisseur of cheap beer. He spent four years at California State University studying literature, watching football, and day drinking before obtaining a master's degree in education from the University of Southern California. At the time of recording, his latest horror novel, The Demon of Decay, is a current best-selling Amazon horror title. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem at all. So that intro is very, very full of stuff. I did want to start by just asking um, a question that came straight to my mind, which is, what realm are you currently defending?
0: What? <laughs> all the realms um, all the right now it's Neverwinter in my D campaign
1: oh nice i think i've done a never winter campaign on a dnd before oh, you. Yeah. yeah
0: we just started it so i'm a typhling sorcerer
1: okay fantastic and how long uh, have you been playing that for are you a big D fan
0: no i actually just got into it we've been wanting to do it for a few years now and we finally just said hey let's Do it. It gave me and a lot of my college buddies an excuse to get together once a week and have a couple beers. Nice. Um, So we're doing it now. We've done three sessions. We're on chapter one and a half. We had to end a end last night a little early because it got to be about eleven p.m. So we couldn't finish the chapter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. How um how are you finding the dungeon master? Because I feel like I've not played many games. I've probably played about four or five times, and they've always been sort of just single session campaigns. But I've really found that a good Dungeon Master can really make or break that game.
0: Um, well, again, it's my first time ever playing. Um, so it's an old college buddy of mine. and He's done a really good job. It's all of our first times playing. So <laughs> we don't have much to go off of. But he, 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 he refuses to do voices. So he's not oh. doing any of the voices or anything, which is kind of a bummer. But <laughs> he keeps the picks up and he's, he's pretty fair with everything.
1: So nice. Fantastic. He does a good
0: job. He's so, actually yeah. the person who wrote this biography.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Cuz I feel like um I mean, part of the reason I wanted to start playing d to start with was partly cuz I'm I'm a big fan of fantasy, but also I feel like mm-hmm. it's it's a good way to build your story building abilities. Is that is it is that any part of the reason you're playing D&D or is it more just for the sort of recreational bring all the guys together?
0: It started off as just kind of like bring the guys together. Um Oh, Sorry if you can hear my dog squeaking. <laughs> tell my wife to move her.
1: I thought you um, said it was your wife squeaking then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it started off as just like a recreational thing. And then I didn't realize how in-depth the storytelling would be and how much it could actually help the craft. So now I'm like taking notes and like um, writing down when there's a complication in the story and how we resolve it. I'm just trying to learn. And that's the excuse I use with my wife as well. <laughs> like, why, why are you doing Dungeons and Dragons every week? I'm like, I got to learn more about writing. It's so, research. Yeah, it's research.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Cause you're, um, correct me if I'm wrong. So, are you currently a part time or a full time writer? I believe you're part time. I just actually went full time. Just gone full time. Fantastic. When did that happen?
0: Um, it happened about a month ago when school let out. Ah,
1: and how are you finding it?
0: Um, I'm liking it a lot. Um, I'm trying to keep myself busy. We got ourselves a new little puppy. To kind of give me company throughout the day. <laughs> so I don't get lonely. Because nice. writing is very lonely.
1: Yes. Um,
0: but yeah, I, I'm really liking it so far. I'm actually working more hours writing full time than I was when I was teaching.
1: See, that's quite surprising. Has that surprised you? Is that something that you thought you'd be doing?
0: Working more hours? Um, no, I, don't, I actually don't know. Um it, it it did surprise me. I it's hard to say. Um, because when I was Teaching, I probably was at school till about three. Um, we got out a little earlier. And then now writing, I'm just writing. It feels 24-7 to me. Yeah. But it, it's surprising because it doesn't feel like work. It feels like it's just something I've always done and always have wanted to do. So if I'm writing out a story or plotting out the next, uh, the next stop in the book or whatever it might be, it doesn't really feel like work. So It doesn't feel like I'm actually working more hours, even though I am.
1: Yeah. And is writing something you've always wanted to? I mean, looking through um, your Amazon profile earlier, you've sort of had books around for about a couple of years now. I think 2017 was the earliest one I could find. But have you been writing since before then? Is that, has writing always been the thing that you kind of wanted to do?
0: Yeah, ever since I was a kid, um, I loved making up stories. Um, not so much in the form of writing. My sister and I, we used to go outside. Um, this is back before everyone had video games and cell phones. We used to go outside and we'd play some games um that I made up. So I'd be like, all right, here's a scenario where these characters with these abilities were fighting these bad guys and we'd go act out the story. Um as I got older, I kinda I'm a terrible artist, but I'd draw those stories out a little more and create the characters that way. And then as I continued to get older and I really just dived into the world of books and Stephen King and um actual writing then i started to love writing so probably i'd say high school i really fell in love with writing
1: yeah and how when was the point that you kind of sat down and went okay here's the thing that i'm gonna do here's what i'm gonna try and push towards i'm now gonna go from doing what i was doing before to making this a a full-time career
0: um that was my wife and i made that decision together probably about six months ago um my writing itself probably doesn't probably doesn't have the income right now to show a full-time career, but we kind of fell into a good situation financially. And she's like, Hey, if you want to do this, now's your opportunity to to do it. Um, And she really pushed me to make that jump. I was really scared to do it and nervous. (laughs) And she's like, no, if you're going to do it, this is your chance to do it. We're still young enough. um, We have the, the comfort to do it now. We could fall back if we need to. So she really pushed me to do that about six months
1: ago. So, talk me through that process because I'm I'm always trying to get this around my head because obviously a lot of becoming a full time writer depends on your circumstances, your situation, um, where you are with your partner. And I know quite a lot of people whose partners aren't necessarily as supportive as they'd like. Or I know that when I was going full time, um, or when I was looking at kind of making this a full time career, my partner at the time it was a bit of it was one of those situations where it wasn't pushing me in one direction. It wasn't pulling me back. It was a very kind of, um, just passive do what you do. There's no, mm-hmm. do, do you know what I mean, it wasn't like a, a support to push that forward. How, how did that conversation approach where you, you sat down and went, okay, here's something that we could be going full-time. You say that she approached that with you.
0: Yeah. So it's always been there in our marriage, um, that I wanted to be a full-time writer. And when we first got married, I kind of just like, I'd write here and there maybe a couple hundred words a week, never anything consistent. And then she's the one who really is like, Hey, if you, you always talk about being a writer, why don't you just sit down and do it? So then she started to get on me early in our marriage. Um, every night before we went to bed, did you write today? I'd be like, uh, no, well, you need to write. Did you write today? <laughs> and so eventually I kind of like built that habit with her help. Um, and then I got, I, I finished a book and then I finished another book. And then I finished another book. And on my fourth book, the one um, that's currently a bestseller on Amazon i uh that was the first horror book i published um in 2018 it was yeah october of eight, uh, 2018 and we had just we j- just put our house on the market um, we built our house my dad's a contractor so we built our house and um she's like all right you have this idea now you want to be this horror writer you have a brand that you're working toward you've been on these writing conferences you're making connections." Um, and if we sell this house, we'll have a little bit of money and you can kind of take a year off of work to try this full time. Do you want to do it? And I said, I do, but I don't, because I'm terrified. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, No, you're gonna do it. And so I was like, Well, let's just table it for now and we'll talk about it later. And so we tabled it for a few months and we came back to it, and I think it was January or February of this year. And she's like, Nope you're, you're going to do this if this is what you want to do, and we're going to take that risk. And so I was like, all right, let's do it then. So she, re- she really pushed um, this idea of me chasing after this dream.
1: Fantastic. What was your main reservation? Because obviously there's going to be people listening who might be in that situation where they're either on the cusp of being ready, but they're not sure, people who a year, two years down the line can see themselves being in that situation. What were the key reservations, and how did you find that you were able to overcome them to make that decision?
0: Yeah, my key reservation was pretty much um, my books weren't making any money really at all to this point. I only have three um, published right now and there wasn't much traction on them. And so when you don't see a lot of income coming in from something that you're going to do full time, it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave this full time teaching job where I get compensated pretty well and I get full health benefits to just pretty much jumping off into the dark um so just taking that risk of jumping into the unknown that really terrified me because we were living um comfortable we were k- kind of complacent where we were so that was one of the biggest reservations can i actually do this because now it's all on the line it's not mm. a matter of i am going to be a writer i am going to do it one day full time now everything's on the line it's either i do it or i don't
1: so it's definitely a motivating factor <laughs> yeah so uh, like you say, um, the Demon of Decay is currently a bestseller on Amazon. Um, yeah. How have you gone about approaching this strategy for the launch to try and reach the success or make it as successful as it can be? Because like you say, it came out in
0: October, October
1: last year. Was it a bestseller straight away or is it only sort of through recent efforts?
0: Um, just, just this past week, the recent efforts. Um, so I went into this very green um, in business and marketing um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read different articles, um, kind of like follow a lot of other authors and see what they do. And then I just try and implement it. And it's, I think it's kind of harder for uh, a new author to just jump into it unless they get really lucky. So I'm kind of working at slow burn right now. And so when Demon of Decay came out as my first book, I didn't really have anyone to launch it to. And I ran Amazon ads poorly. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing there. So I wasn't targeting correctly. Um, Same with Facebook. I had no idea idea what I was doing with Facebook, and I just burned through money. So Mm. I kind of went away from that for a while. And recently, I applied for BookBub with Demon of Decay. I I took it wide. It was the first time I've ever had a book wide. And I was like, eh, you know, it's wide now. Um, It's been rejected before, but it has a couple more reviews on it, and it's wide. Why not see what BookBub says now? And BookBub got back to me and said, hey, you've been accepted. Fantastic. And that was, uh, believe it or not, the last day at my teaching job, I got that email. (laughs) If you believe in signs.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: um, So yeah, so I got that book club deal and it ran July 12th and the book became a bestseller in five different horror categories and it's currently still a bestseller in one of them.
1: That's fantastic. Congratulations, man. Thank you. So... A lot of people talk about BookBub obviously being the lightning strike. In this case, it's 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 done well for you. Are you happy to sort of share any of the figures? Obviously, you don't have to if you don't want to, but are you happy to share some of the actual results of how many downloads that I might have attributed to or what kind of push that gave to your books? Because obviously a lot of people, some people might not know what BookBub is. Um, some people might have applied, applied, applied and got nothing. I've known a few people not get the results that they want to, but are you happy to share those figures? Oh yeah, of course.
0: I got nothing to hide. Um, so the book pub itself cost just over $400. Um, and that was to advertise it wide, not just in the USA. And, um, I probably sold, I don't have an exact number right now. Um, but it was around probably 650 books, which means that I came in a little under what I spent on it. If you do, because I'm, it was a 99 cent promo. So I'm getting 35 cents a book. Uh So I came in a little under, but the big, I think the biggest contributing factor with BookBub for me and what I'm seeing is kind of this, um, reviews are coming in. I've already had two, three reviews come in from it. Um, I've seen consistent sales for at least a week now. I don't know how long that will last, but I've seen that. I got the bestseller tag on Amazon so I could change my marketing strategies a little bit, um, with Facebook and stuff. Um, so it's kind of like those tertiary benefits for me. The exposure, some some of the things that come along with it, not just the income.
1: And why do you think your um, BookBub got accepted? Was there anything that you did specific that you feel might have helped to secure that?
0: Um, I think taking it wide has something to do with it. Um, when I read about BookBub, a lot of people say they don't. BookBub doesn't like to cater just to KU writers. So if you're just writing in KU, they they're more likely to reject you. I'm not saying they always will but they're more likely to just cause if you're wide, it's a broader audience they could reach. Um, they satisfy their, um, their subscribers. Also, I, when I went to open a date, I just put whenever cause I didn't really have a date in mind. So I was like, is there a date you have in mind? I was like, Nope. And I think that helped a lot too. Cause then they're like, Oh, this book has decent reviews right now. It's wide, it has a good cover. And they just put me in a slot that fit.
1: So, yeah. I mean, you definitely write the book. Does have a fantastic cover? I've uh, I have downloaded it myself, but I've got yet to read it. Oh, awesome! Thank but you. I'll be sure to leave a <laughs> or leave a review for you. Um, Thank you. But one of the questions that I'm always interested to ask, because I get asked this a lot um, as a fellow horror writer, is why do you write horror?
0: Um, I have so many people ask me that. I never have a good answer.
1: For them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, for actually, for me, I love writing horror because I love I. I let me, let me back up just a little bit. Growing up, I loved Stephen King. I pretty much read his entire catalog from the ages of 14 to probably 21 years old. Um, and over and over again, not just once, but I just would recycle through his books. Um, and then I kind of branched me out into other um, horror authors, but mo- mostly Stephen King. And I just remember whenever I read him, any of his stories, all I wanted to do at that point was write. I just felt so inspired to like, create my own story. And I think what it is, because I've talked to a lot of people and they said they felt the same way about Stephen King's books. I think he does such a good job at exposing um, characters' flaws and weaknesses, but then allowing them to overcome those flaws and weaknesses. And it really resonates with the reader and kind of inspires them to do something, to overcome whatever their flaw or weakness or fear is. And I think by reading his books, I was able to kind of like figure out who, what I wanted to do, kind of like what I wanted to achieve, and I was write a book at that time. And it was always horror. And my sister and I, we always watch horror movies. Um, I was just kind of drawn to the darkness of it, but also I think horror sheds a lot more light on situations than people give it credit for. I think horror is not about terror and monsters and demons. It's more about, um, redemption. It's more about overcoming this evil and overcoming your own demons.
1: So, What is your favorite Stephen King novel?
0: Oh, The Shining. Them all. Yeah, uh, I haven't read a lot of his new stuff. Um, I don't know why. I just have, I've been branching out in my more, uh, in my latter years into Mm -hmm. more genres and more authors, but. um,
1: Still within uh, the horror genre? uh,
0: Yeah, still. I really love Paul Tremblay in the horror genre. I don't know if you've read any of him. Yeah, but I love Paul Tremblay um so yeah more in the horror genre also a lot of uh, dark fantasy i'm really starting to like dark fantasy mm. um but yeah favorite stephen king would be the shining
1: any particular reason
0: no i've read it about five <laughs> times and just every time it gets better for me i don't know why
1: oh fantastic i am um, yeah, yeah we read the the shining i think last christmas and um, it was my first time actually reading it seeing the film first time actually reading the book and yeah, I was impressed. I mean, anything with Stephen King, I think he's just got the, a smooth way of of communicating yeah. and, and bringing the story alive, which is...
0: Yeah, no, it's no, oh. what's really funny about the movie and the novel is that Stanley Kubrick, hate. I don't know if he hated, that might be a strong word, but he didn't really like the book that much. So he kind of took the movie in his own direction. Mm. And Stephen King didn't like the movie. <laughs> and then they both end up being like masterworks in their respective mediums
1: <laughs> I wonder how they went about navigating that when it came to those conversations afterwards oh. <laughs> here's what i've done with your story i know you're not gonna like it um yeah absolutely uh so what have you found has been the uh the hardest step going from your previous job to writing full-time like you say the hours you've kind of been putting more more into what have you found has been sort of the hardest adjustment for your lifestyle
0: um honestly just staying focused it's so easy you know because i write on a computer and i have full access to internet Mm -hmm. and so just staying focused um all night i might have a research question like oh how does this grenade work or i don't know something random like that and then all of a sudden i'm down a huge rabbit hole watching youtube videos on these obscure weapons that i don't even really know about (laughs) (laughs) um it's you know, when, when I'm teaching, I have the accountability of the students being there, and so I have to be working for them. I have my director um, who's there. I have other teachers who are there. I mean, there's all this accountability in check to keep me um, kind of like just on, on pace on, to keep me focused. Now, writing, I'm my, I'm my own accountability, my own check. My wife's out working, um, unless my dog's going to hold me accountable, but she just wants to play all the time
1: so yeah i was thinking that it's got to be um i mean i'm looking at getting a dog uh in a couple of months <laughs> a bit of a reward to myself for for full timeness but there is a part of me that is worried about that sort of getting a young puppy into the house and obviously the distractions mm-hmm. potentially how are you how are you finding navigating around that what um, brings your so, dog yeah
0: i'm gonna actually um i'll talk about my dog for a little bit i love talking about my yeah, dog yeah go for it <laughs> <laughs> um she is a mini double doodle which means she has both um Labra- uh, Labradoodle and Golden Doodle in her.
1: Wow, okay. Uh,
0: so She's like super hyperallergenic. My wife's allergic to the dander that comes off animals. Um, but those breeds kind of all mix together and it forms a pretty chill dog. So for the most part, when I'm riding, she's passed out under a chair or something, sleeping. <laughs> um, so she's not too high maintenance. Um, She's kind of getting, she's about six months old now, so she's getting a little more energy and she's getting a little more um, like aggressive in her need for that energy. So she'll like walk up to me with her ball and bump into my leg and be like, Hey, it's time to play now. And I'm like, all right, 15 minutes, let me finish this chapter or something. She's like, no, <laughs> it now. And um, so now it's starting to get to that point where I got to figure out a way to burn some energy with her to kind of keep her happy, but then also continue to stay strict with my writing schedule and i'm just learning that this week so (laughs) Uh, (laughs) right now it's kind of been um what i do is um, i follow chris fox's sprinting method um i'll put about 15 minutes on the clock i'll do a writing sprint and take about 10 minute break and in that break i'll usually play fetch with her or something and we kind of that's our system right now
1: nice and is that a system you follow all day so however many hours you put in it's always a 15 minute sprint and 10 minute breaks
0: yeah. Yeah. So we'll go from 8 a.m. to about 12,
1: 12, Okay. And do you have a minimum word count that you try and reach? Are you, are you driven by word counts? Or are you more driven around sort of just the time and the effort that you put into the work?
0: Um, I used to be a lot more driven by word counts. I'm trying to go away from that. I've heard some people talking about how, you know, if you don't hit that word count, you get really down on yourself and um, you're not as motivated to get in the next day. So I'm trying to get away from that. I'm naturally a competitive person, so the word count does help me compete <laughs> with myself. Um, and it kind of keeps me focused a little better. But I, you kind of give it a vague number. Between five and 10,000 words a day is what I'm trying
1: to hit. Okay. So if I
0: could hit that, I'm pretty happy.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's definitely difficult to – because, I mean, it's, it's hard if you're writing. The only real metric you do have that is in any way substantial is word count. It's difficult yeah. to kind of look and say this paragraph feels good or feels bad. So yeah. I think word counts work for a lot of people. But like you say, it is, it is difficult if you do have days where you're not hitting the word counts that you used to. And it, even though you've made progress, you do kind of feel like you're letting yourself down.
0: Yeah. And my wife will be like, did you hear your word count today? Because I told her I want that 5 to 10K. <laughs> you're like 3,400. I'm like, no. And I get all depressed. And,
1: <laughs> yeah. and it's hard as well because some days the words fly out you.
0: Oh yeah, and all the other days, days. It's, yeah. Monday. Monday was just flying out of my. I couldn't write fast uh, to keep up with my thoughts.
1: Yeah, fair. And what? So, how does that play into your um, production method? I mean, your your schedules for books. Obviously, um, you've got a couple out now. You've got the the Mask of Silence um, books, mm-hmm. one and two, um, and you've got a few sort of anthologies as well that I've seen. How How are you planning your production schedule? Are you sticking to releasing a book every certain number of months are you kind of playing it project by project
0: so the three books that i have on amazon right now demon of decay massive silence and what's left of the night were all written um while i was teaching so those were just kind of when i finish a book i'm going to put it up there um, and just see what happens now that i'm full-time i kind of want to experiment experiment with this rapid release thing that everyone's talking about and i'm hoping to get a book done a month is my goal one book a month kind of stock them up a little bit and then release them um later this year in a rapid release method
1: and what processes have you got in place for that are you will that be a case of including the first draft any editing and anything you need to do after have you got like an editor on books that you're sort of bringing in how are you kind of um managing that production schedule
0: um. Yeah, I have a really good editor. Um, I think he's really good, but um, I'll probably contact him see if we can work out um a deal for a big series. I, I do want to write in a series as well, so um, I feel like I've written a couple standalone books and those don't really work too well. So I want to get in a series and see if he could cut me a deal. Same with a um a cover designer. Mm. I work with one cover designer on two books, another one on Demon of Decay, and. I'm just kind of shopping the field there. Um, So if you have anyone you want to recommend, um, let me know. But um, that will all happen as soon as I start writing the books, most likely I'll start contacting artists being like, hey, here's the idea for my series. I'm going to have six books. I need six covers made. Like maybe here's like a quick outline of each one. Can you give me these books before November? Mm. And then with the editor, as soon as I finish a book, I'll get it over to him. Same with the next one. So that way I'm kind of writing and revising at the same time.
1: Yeah. That's no, a good way to do it. Definitely set it up so so systems are all in place. I'm I'm in a similar situation at the minute. I'm currently editor and cover shopping, um, <laughs> which is, I actually quite enjoy the process. It's it's yeah. interesting, particularly, I mean, we can sidestep into this a little bit. In in choosing your editor, how did you go about the process of, of managing that? Because from what I've found, trying to, Again, editors to obviously give you an honest opinion of their work is, is difficult at best. It really needs to come from sort of user reviews of, of people who have used them. Um, how did you find your editor that you've got now and what and how do you work with them?
0: Yeah, I went through about um, probably six editors and they're all really great editors. Um, one of them in particular was really amazing, but for whatever reason, either our personalities didn't click or um, they ended up becoming too busy or just life got in the way. Not, none of them ever worked out. And so this this recent editor that I have, I was on Readsy, I believe. Was it Readsy? Yeah, it was Z, just kind of scrolling through different editors, clicking their profiles, reading through them. And then I found him and um, just sent him a sample of my work. He Responded back with the edits for the one page or whatever it was. And I liked uh, the thoroughness of it. And he wasn't, what I really liked, he wasn't trying to change my voice. He was just kind of adding to it. Like, hey, if you said this instead of this, here's how it changes the story. It's not like you need to change this. It's the option. And he told me how it changes the reader experience. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, Never really experienced that. So we got to talking more. We had a lot of stuff in common. We both loved horror. He was running a horror company at the time um with like tabletop games and a podcast and things like that and it was mostly just a relationship we built that helped me choose them not so much oh you're an editor with a reasonable price perfect let's go it <laughs> was like, no we built a cool relationship um and we still keep in touch right now even though i haven't haven't gotten a book in a few months um but we're still keeping in touch still talking so i think that was the determining factor with that editor if you're looking for the next best thing to invest in Try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's
1: GoForward.com. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how important would you say, cause you mentioned there that obviously he enjoys a horror genre. How important would you say that is to choosing an editor for them to actually enjoy what they're, what it is that you're sending oh, them?
0: I think that's more personally, I think that might be more important than the actual thoroughness of like grammar and syntax and stuff, because if you're not resonating with the horror reader, the horror fan, or whatever genre you write in—the romance fan or the science fiction fan—if you're not resonating with that type of reader, it doesn't matter how well put together your sentences are or how grammatically correct you are. Um, they're not going to connect to the story to the genre that they love. So you got to be able to hit the genre tropes and tell the story within that particular genre. So I think it was hugely important.
1: And is there anywhere else that you'd recommend to try and find specific genre editors? Um, obviously, you went to Reedy, which is probably one of the the largest online ones for for freelancers to look for work um I've, I've never actually used it myself was there a part in there where you could actually choose the the genre that you're looking for
0: um i can't remember off the top of my head let me look it up really quick see if i can find it um there was this other website that i used and i wish i could remember the name but i can't and it, <laughs> It was, um, and I, I would try and Google it, but it would take me five minutes to figure it out. So I That's won't. fine.
1: If, um, you just find out what it is, and we'll throw it in the show notes afterwards. Perfect,
0: perfect. Um, but you pretty much put in the genre you're into, and you kind of put in your price range. Um, and that's how it worked about a year ago. They might have updated or changed stuff. Um, put in your price range, and then bring up editors kind of within that rate and that genre. And so it works. Um, just I think that's how Reedsy works as well, if, I, if I'm remembering right.
1: You've got to love the internet now. I mean, just being able <laughs> to find these websites where you can just shop that easily as opposed to... So what you easy doing? to find stuff. Yeah, I mean, even going back to sort of a few years back, um, I used to edit and proofread sort of nonfiction work. And even then, it was always down to magazines and sort of the physical print copies where you could actually advertise and find people. Whereas now you can just click a couple of buttons and, and you've got everything you need.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm on Readsy right now for the freelance editors. And you could choose a genre.
1: Ah, fantastic!
0: Fiction, non-fiction gets pretty specific with the genres as well. Gaming and late RPG, horror,
1: comedy. So yeah, that's useful to know. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll pop that in the show notes as well for anyone that wants to find that link. Um, pulling back a little bit, one thing that I am quite interested in because uh, you mentioned that you're interested in writing a series. Obviously, at the minute um the advice on the grapevine is that series is a place to be in order to actually keep the money coming in and keeping it fresh which i mean makes sense um would you class the mask of silence books one and two as part of a series
0: yeah yeah as much as you'd class like um, nightmare and elm street or friday the 13th as a series
1: gotcha okay And are you looking at making that series within the horror genre or are you looking at something else, a different genre? So
0: those two will be in the horror genre. um, And I might even write a third one, uh, cap it off as a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, But they also might act as prequel books to the series I'm working on right now, which will kind of fit into dark urban fantasy, more like urban fantasy with more horror, um, more horror tone to it. And it will use aspects from that story, like characters, um, different events from those stories, *Massive Silence* and *What's Left of the Night*, in this new series. So they they might be like prequel books.
1: Okay, because that was one thing I was going to ask: is that horror seems to be a very difficult genre for series because yeah. obviously a lot of people die at the end. Um, yeah. So it it generally does seem to be that people who write within the horror or want to write the darker stuff. Seem to find branches of other genres in which they can kind of bring some of their darker side in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm hoping to do that. Um, kind of use like, dark fantasy or urban fantasy as an outlet for the horror, so not make it 100% horror, just use horror elements within these other type of genres.
1: And how are you researching and going about, have you started any production for those works yet? Have you got sort of plans in place on how you're going to approach the series as a, as a whole?
0: Yeah, um, it's it's kind of ambitious right now. So we'll see how much I actually end up d- decide on um taking off or doing but right now it's going to be a three-part series so almost think um the mcu i'll have three different characters with their own series and they'll all kind of come together for a big boss battle if you will
1: and then just break
0: off again if if i'm doing financially well i'll break off again go further into the series and the mythology and stuff Mm. so um, But I have already started the outlining. I've started kind of the world building. What are the vampires going to be like? What are the Who are the like government agencies? Um, how's the world reacting? I'm doing all that stuff right now.
1: How do you manage your pre-production? What kind of softwares or programs do you use to try and keep everything together and, and plan?
0: Um, <laughs> when I'm outlining, I use the old-fashioned pen and paper method.
1: <laughs> okay. Um,
0: yeah, so just when I'm kind of like world building, I'll just get a notebook, write it all out. Um, And once it starts getting a little more concrete and cemented, I'll go into Google Drive and just create a folder with uh, the book title on it, open it up and be like, book one, um, characters, book one, setting, book one, conflicts or items or monsters, whatever it is. And I'll just start filling it out there. And then I move the important stuff, the stuff that's actually going to make its way into the story. I put that in Scrivener.
1: So why do you start with pen and paper?
0: It's just easier for me, um, to keep track of, okay. it could be anywhere with me. I don't know. I I've always, I know a lot of people love going on to like Scribner and using the corkboard setting or the sticky note setting. I can never get into it. Um, so for me, it's just like, if I'm gonna, if I'm just brainstorming with ideas, I like the, I like the mess, messy look of paper and pencil, everything okay. circled and starred and all over the page. I don't know why. I just, it helps me.
1: No, There seems to be a lot of um, science behind the actual method of analog in making your brain put your hand into motion, actually making all the the, um, writing. Yeah, there seems to be, from what I've read anyway, and I've sort of been reading quite a few different books on productivity and planning and stuff, and um, I'll see if I can find any articles also put in the show notes. But yeah, there seems to be a lot of what people say is if you want to actually get your best thinking out, then analogue is the best way to go because not only is there some kind of biological connection between your brain and the actual um, rhythm of writing, but I mean, for people like me anyway, who I I admittedly can type quite fast, but I can't write very fast. So it sometimes actually slows you down to make you think about what it is you put in and consider ideas and and force the brain to think a bit more. So maybe maybe it's just something about that 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 kicks the ideas into...
0: It could be too because yeah. I honestly I mean I I might feel more creative doing it like that too.
1: Hmm. I often find if I've ever got a day where I'm kind of struggling to get stuff done I'll just whip out just a, a random notepad and just start writing down what <clears> writing or anything else yeah yeah. That's a good idea I'll have to try that because I I don't actually
0: write stories with pen and paper just throw no. down ideas. So oh. maybe yeah I might have to
1: try that. Yeah. I couldn't imagine writing stories with pen and paper. I listened to um, an interview with Neil Gaiman and he apparently still writes all of his books longhand to start with. And I'm just like, wow. Still does. Yeah.
0: I can barely write a sentence anymore. Which I uh, <laughs> Do
1: you ever find that you'll write for a minute or two and then your hand them?
0: <laughs>
1: it's never fun. Never fun. Um, uh, one thing you do have is, uh, like we say, you've got your name in a couple of anthology books. Yeah. Is this... How, how did you go about getting in in the anthology books and this is this part of a method to try and promote yourself or sort of how did that come about and what are the benefits of of being in those anthologies for you
0: yeah the first anthology which was c e a into the darkness um and i'm probably messing that up it's been a while since i looked at that one but it's into the darkness and um the book I, or the short story i wrote for that was drowning and i had this cool short story idea. And it was 10,000 words long, and I had no idea where to submit it to because not many magazines accept 10,000 word stories. And I didn't really want to publish it on Amazon because I didn't want to get a cover for something so short. So I was like, well, what do I do with this story? And I was scrolling through Facebook one day, and I saw this post saying, hey, we have an open anthology for horror. If you guys want to submit, go ahead. So I submitted it, got accepted. Um, And it was mostly for the exposure. Um, I was kind of hoping that was in the early days when I was more naive and innocent. I was like, man, I'm going to submit this and he's <laughs> going to put this anthology out and we're going to make a ton of money. Um, but we didn't. I don't think I've seen any money from that. So, um, which is fine because, again, it was more for the exposure, kind of just get my name, um, like SEO, things like that, little little things like that. The second one was with Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon um, for their Night of the Writing Dead.
1: Which so, I'm were- also in. I'm going to plug that. <laughs>
0: oh, awesome, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... I'm in that one and that one. All the proceeds go to the George Romero Foundation, who is the writer and director of *Night of the Living Dead*, um, because we wrote that on the 50th anniversary of *Night of the Living Dead*'s release date. And so we haven't seen any income from that. So again, it's not so much for the money with that anthology; it's more for the exposure. Which I think, again, um, and I don't, I don't know how much I know, just because I'm a new writer at this and I haven't made much money yet, but. I almost think that the exposure in the beginning, if you're not making money right now, um some people get lucky and they make money immediately from this, but if you're playing the long game, the grinding game, it's I think I think it's that exposure, just kind of getting your name out there, consistently putting out work, whether it's a short story, it's an anthology, it's a novella, whatever it might be, you're consistently putting work out there and finding readers in whatever way. I think that's how you build um, a readership in the long the long game.
1: Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that I feel in in my personal experience that has very much been the case for for me and I think that some of the collaborations I've ended up doing have been as a result of being in other just shorter publications because like you say even though they don't make money what they Mm -hmm. are is social proof that you are working and you are Mm -hmm. putting ideas out there and you're someone that someone can rely on and from that if you've actually then got a backing of of stories and and different things behind you then that means that people in the future it's it's a lot easier just to be like well i've done this i've done this i might not have sort of this realm of, of books but you know I'm, I'm producing work and i'm someone that is reliable um and yeah if anything I, you get practice yeah so
0: you're absolutely. better at writing mm.
1: so did you go on the night of the writing dead event i did go to it talk me through that that'll be interesting so um for people that don't know exactly what it is or what it was about um You've kind of mentioned a little bit about the George A. Romero Foundation, but explain what it is, uh, what you guys got up to while you're out there and what you got out of it.
0: Yeah, so Zach Bohannon and Jay Thorne, for uh, those who don't know, are they started off as horror writers, actually, um, but now they write post-apoc fiction, and they're um, pretty big um, producers of post-apoc fiction. And they put together this conference um, from, with their company, And it was out in um, Pittsburgh. And it was just getting 10, 12, 20, or I think it was 20 of us. It was very small and intimate, whatever it was. It might have been 20. Um, 20 writers together in person to pretty much create a world, a post-apocalyptic world together. So we had all these writers in one room. We all sat down and we started like, all right. Are there zombies? And we're like, of course there's zombies. And then we're like, all right, well, what kind of zombies are there? Are they fast moving? Are they slow? Do they eat brains? Um, and you know, we just went through the process. How did the zombie outbreak happen? How does it spread? Through scratching, through biting, through whatever. And so 20, 30 writers were in a room bouncing ideas off each other, creating this huge world. Um, and it took an entire day to do, as you can imagine, most writers are... <clears throat> Um, I don't want to say opinionated, but they all have—you know—they're very um, close to their ideas. And it was just very surprising to me how flexible everyone in that room was. It was—it was amazing. All these I like, how
1: you navigate that situation?
0: <laughs> oh no, it was beautiful though. Jay and Zach did an amazing job. There was no like big arguments that broke out. Like, no, we have to have it this way. Everyone heard each other out. We all kind of found common ground. It was the—it sm- was smooth beyond your wildest imagination. I don't know how it worked out. We were lucky. Um, and so once the world was created, then we got to go home from the conference and we had our ideas and we had to write our stories within that world. And so I wrote my story is called ashes about a guy, um, trying to grieve his wife and all he had left was, um, a dog that he found. So, Fantastic. and that's in the anthology and you wrote a story as well.
1: Hmm. Called Delirium, which is about a guy going mental from being isolated and lonely. It's a very <laughs> cheery anthology. <laughs> <laughs> what was it that number one drew your attention to this to this event? And number two, why what was it about the event that that compelled you to, to go forward and get involved?
0: Um so I was listening to oh, what, I was listening to the Summer Book Show, I think. And Zach and Jay came on to their show. Um, and, and, um, to substitute for either Jim or Brian or Jim or, um, yeah, Brian, I can't remember which one they came in for, but I was like, Oh, these guys are kind of fun. Um, I wonder if they have a podcast and I think they plugged their podcast at the end. They're just starting at the time, the career author podcast. So I immediately went and downloaded some of their episodes, listened to them and they were promoting this night of the writing dead. And I was like, Oh man, I'm always looking for conferences to go to. If I can Um, just because I am more of a social person and writing like we established earlier is a pretty lonely existence, unless you have a dog. Um, (laughs) But if there's, if there's any way I could get in contact with other writers, I don't know a lot of other writers. So um, if there's any way for me to get in contact with other writers, to communicate with them, I always try and do it. And so they were advertising this and they said, it's night of the living dead um, 50th year anniversary in Pittsburgh at this old school theater where we're going to show Night of the Living Dead. I was like, all right, you you have not sold on Night of the Living Dead. Like the <laughs> the writing part. So, I showed up to it um to collaborate with the writers to celebrate George A Romero um and his all his accomplishments. And yeah, it was just everything just seemed to fit at the time for me to go. It was an amazing experience.
1: And how did you find meeting all the all the different people? Are there are a lot of people there. Or were there any people there that came sort of in pairs or in triplets or was it sort of everyone was on their own it was all pitching in
0: um yeah there's like i said there's about 20 to 30 people there i believe um and it seemed like everyone kind of came on their own they might have known each other from previous author events or from um conferences but i feel like i feel like they all came separately and so we all kind of just got there and met in this old, old school theater that served beer on tap, which was pretty cool. Um, and we just all started talking and we all, everyone just like, we just hit it off really, um, quickly. Everyone seemed to just kind of fall right into place and the conference is two days long, but it didn't feel strained or rushed or anything.
1: Fantastic. I I do think the live events are something that all, authors should attend even just once just to see what it's about it's i think they're one of those things that they can be draining but at the same mm-hmm. time you get so much out of them that they're they're well worth attending definitely
0: oh i agree yeah
1: yeah and before we move on just from the night of the writing dead um section <laughs> we <laughs> i'll just quickly plug again if people want to buy that book it's called uh, undead tales 15 thrilling zombie stories um you can get that amazon and all the proceeds do go to a fantastic cause so if people do want to grab one of those i'll put a link in the show notes for that book um okay one thing i'm always massively curious about um just i I don't know why this is very much on my radar at the minute and something that i'm kind of asking every guest that comes on just because i'm very very curious do you have a morning routine and if so what is it
0: uh yeah um i try and wake up at 6 a.m and and this routine has just started since I've gone full time before my routine was, I wake up as as soon as I can to the time I have to leave, grab breakfast and go to school. That used to be my morning routine. (laughs) Um, But now I'm trying to wake up at 6am, trying to get a good breakfast. I'm trying to kind of, I've taken up a little bit of yoga in the morning, nothing, nothing crazy, just like a beginner's yoga on YouTube. And I feel like, um, that little 30 minute practice every morning really opens up, I guess, not just kind of like my body, which is might be stiff and hunched over from sitting at a computer the day before, but also my mind a little makes me makes a morning writing session. Very, very productive. I feel like, um, or at least it has been so far. Mm-hmm. So a good breakfast and a quick little yoga practice. has kind of been my new morning routine. And I try and start writing by eight o'clock so that way I'm not rushing either that six to eight o'clock gap I kind of just mosey my way through the morning um play with my dog a little burn some energy have some <laughs> coffee read, read uh read whatever book I'm reading so kind of just everything's focusing on creativity and just kind of like I guess waking up into creativity
1: fantastic so if that's the case let me ask why didn't you have a morning routine when you were at the school
0: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I love to sleep. Um, we got that dog and... Um,
1: so it sounded just, very judgy. I didn't mean that in a judgy way. I just realized how that sounded.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't take that away at all. We got that dog in February, I think, or April. It was April, definitely April. Mm-hmm. And she always woke up at 6 a.m. to go to the bathroom. And so before that time, when I kind of like built this habit again at 6 a.m. to get her out of her crate and take her outside, um, I'd wake up. At, I didn't have to be at school until 7.30, so I'd wake up about 6.45 make breakfast, and then go to school. Um, and I don't know why I didn't have a morning routine. I, I've just always been someone who likes to sleep, and I'll sleep as long as possible. <laughs> I was like that in high school and college, and it carried over into my career. So I'm trying to break that, be a little more productive in the morning.
1: Yeah. I mean, your livelihood depends on it now.
0: Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I did want to ask was you... Mentioned a few times you listen to different podcasts. Um, you've, been, you've said that you're obviously trying to work on Amazon ads and Facebook ads. What are your go-to resources that you use to, number one, acquire knowledge? And, uh, yeah, just to acquire knowledge. What are your go-to resources, podcasts, websites?
0: Yeah, um, so I'll listen to, for podcasts, and I listen to these religiously every single week. I'll listen to the Selmore Book Show that's with um, Jim Kukral and Brian Cohen. I listen to Joanna Penn's Creative Pen podcast. I listen to the Self Publishing Show with Mark Dawson, and then the Career Author with um, Zach O'Hannon and Jay Thorne. Um, I used to listen to the Science Science Fiction and Fantasy podcast, the Marketing one with um, Lindsay Broker. I don't know what happened. To that they're stopping out <laughs> episodes. And same thing Alrighty. with um, yeah, same thing with Dave Cheston and the Book Marketing Show. Okay. Um, yeah, he doesn't put out many episodes either anymore. So um, so yeah, those are the podcasts I listen to. They give me most of my information. Um, but when it does actually come down to application, not just so much what's going on and like what, what are the latest trends or um, what's kind of going on in the publishing world. If I actually want application, I'll always go out and try and find the best book um, that I can find and read it and then try and apply the exercises. So like any of Chris Fox's marketing series um I would highly suggest reading those. um There's um, Brian Meeks has a really good ad copy book. As does Brian Cohen rising the Sizzling Synopsis. So I just kind of go out there and just kind of collect all the books I could find on application.
1: One thing I noticed. Sorry, go on. You can finish. No, go ahead. Go ahead. And one thing I I have noticed is that a lot of your information does come from the independent authors. Is there? a reason that you sort of migrated to independent publishing as opposed to TradPub?
0: Yeah. So with Demon of Decay, I was actually gonna, um, I actually shopped it off to be traditionally published and I went to a writing conference. It was nominated for a Claymore award, um, for one of the, the killer national conference I went to, which is a trad pub conference. Fantastic. And yeah, it didn't win, but it was a finalist. So that's really awesome. But, um, I met this guy there named, Joe Conrath. I don't know if you've ever heard of him.
1: Uh, I have. He, uh, <laughs> he he seems to be the testimonial on a lot of uh, Ian Rob Wright's books. And I think they've written okay, really yeah, yeah. books so together. Was, right, he's yeah. a
0: huge, huge voice in the indie movement, I guess. Yeah. Um, when self-publishing first became like a thing back in what they call the gold rush. And he was the keynote speaker there. And I ended up getting lucky enough to kind of corner him and talk to him a little bit. And I just kind of asked him his advice. Like, hey, I got this book. Um, it was a nominated as a finalist or as a, it was nominated for this Claymore award and kind of just gave him my background. He's like, dude, self-publish. <laughs> I was just like, what do you mean? And so he kind of talked to me a little bit about why I should self-publish. Um, I went back from that conference a little more on the fence, did some more research, kind of figured out for myself that I thought self-publishing would be the better call for me. Um, just kind of fit my personality and stuff a little better. And so when I do grab my resources now, from the self-publishing side of things. I do that because I feel like trad publishing and self-publishing work in very different, I don't want to say worlds, but I feel like they work very differently um, in terms of marketing and how things are ran. And I'd rather personally just find the success in self-publishing, what's making other people successful? How are they doing it if I don't have these deep pockets of traditional publishers who could just throw money at ads and throw money at um, their marketing? So what are these more savvy indie publishers doing? So that's why I look a lot at, uh a lot of the indie publishers. Mm.
1: I'm also not really aware of any TradPub podcasts or resources. <laughs> yeah,
0: there might not be any, to be honest. I've never really looked.
1: <laughs> uh, I guess they're just behind the doors that the rest of the books are locked up behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm I'm weighted in, in one direction at all. <laughs> um, okay, so I am conscious that we are... Uh, running out of time so are you happy to go into our i know it flies <laughs> <laughs> happy to fire into our quick fire round let's do it cool this will be fun so 10 quick questions as fast as you can uh try not to think too much about them and uh, it's all it's all just in fun so um let's go pennywise or voldemort pennywise what's your favorite tv show of all time uh, stranger
0: breaking bad things
1: <laughs> I've not seen those two mixed together. I'll have to check that out. Um, preferred sandwich filling of choice. One more time. Preferred sandwich filling of choice. Sandwich filling. Yeah. Like a like what meat I put in it. Just anything that you put between the bread. Okay. That might be Turkey. an English crossover. Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boats or planes. Uh, planes. Who was the last writer to make you cry? Uh, Paul Tremblay. Worst film of all time. Oh, jeez.
0: Now you're really putting me on the spot. <laughs> I can give you a best film of all time quick. Um, worst film of all time, home, home, home. Um, Killing.
1: Okay. And what's your best film, just out of interest?
0: Um, the Dark Knight.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Good choice. Uh, what's your favorite kind of cheese?
0: Oh, man. Um, brie. Oh, no, anything goat cheese. Goat cheese.
1: <laughs> Do you have a dream holiday destination? And where is that?
0: anywhere on a beach
1: uh is there a christmas present that you wished you got but never received
0: yeah that's so funny um one year i wanted um football pads to start playing pop warner football i was like eight years old i never got them i was super disappointed
1: man and what's your favorite song
0: my favorite song yep simple man by leonard skinner
1: fantastic cool how was that that was awesome that's it. It's over. I might expand those to 20 questions, and see how people uh, deal under that pressure. <laughs> yeah, keep them under that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm most likely you won't. Um, okay, so to finish up, where can listeners find out more about yourself and your work and everything that you're up to?
0: Yeah, I have a website. It's just simply alexseagates.com. Um, and it's one page It has a picture of all my books. So if you want any of my books, just go to alexseagates.com, click on the book you want, it'll take you to um the the amazon page and you can buy a book from there or you just go to amazon and type in alex c gates and my name will show up
1: And then you're on social media as well
0: i am on social media i don't really do much on social media so if you guys want to follow a page that is pretty uh (laughs) (laughs) pretty dry you could follow me on instagram at alex c gates or on facebook at alex c gates so
1: perfect um, yeah well thank you very much for joining me alex it's been a pleasure yeah it's been a ton of fun thank you for having me no worries i'm sure we'll keep in touch oh yeah and thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the great writer share podcast next week i'll be talking to usa today best-selling author of sci-fi and fantasy fiction alison ingleby just a reminder that if you want to get early access to episodes of the show as well as be entered into our monthly giveaways and join us over in our private slack group then you can join us over at patreon.com forward slash great writers share that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash great writers share and from there you can join for as little as a dollar a month and get access to a load of extra bonus content until next time